Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, we come to you now as children eager to learn, and so we pray, teach us in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. So here we go. Follow along, please. Matthew 5, 20. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribe Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Okay, now, in our last study, you remember how we saw how the Lord Jesus began, really, it's starting a fight. There's a fight starting here for the souls of men. I mean, he knew that he was seeking to rescue souls that were held in the very tight grip of Satan, who had used the scribes, the Pharisees, the rabbis, to hold the people in a bondage. They were in bondage. And what the Lord Jesus was embarking on was to set out on this battle, was to do what Job said that he did in Job 29, 17. In Job 29, 17, Job said, I break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. So the people that the Lord Jesus was speaking to, well, all they knew All they had ever been taught was what the scribes and the Pharisees and the rabbis had taught them, and the teaching of their teachers were like strong jaws of a lion, and the teeth of the lion were like the traditions that were used to keep these people, keep them in line, keep them where they needed to be. So in order to deliver the people from this bondage of this, what was really a legalistic system, he has to break the jaws of the lion. He has to take the people from the teeth of the lion. Now the problem was how the people were being held was through a system of traditions. 
that the scribes and the Pharisees were, had, and they called those traditions the oral law, the oral law. The oral law is just what it says. It's the law that they feel was handed down to Moses in an oral form, orally. So the oral law is opposed to the written law. Now, their view is that it's not opposed to the written law, that it goes side by side with the written law, and the oral law explains what the written law is saying. And actually, they say that the oral law is as important as the written law. It's not in the Jewish context, but I encountered the same problem in Ethiopia. In Ethiopia, I thought, oh, here's Christians, because as you know, well, you may not know. Anyways, in Ethiopia, there's basically three groups. There's Christians, Muslims, and animists. And so I thought, okay, well, the Orthodox Christians, that's going to be a group that we're going to want to work with, we're going to want to be with. And as a matter of fact, the first property that we actually were looking at was in the Orthodox Christian area, in an Orthodox Christian area. And and we ran away from that place as fast as we could because they are so intolerant of what other people believe that they burn tractors. They've done this. They burn tractors and houses and so forth because their view is that the writings of the elders of the Orthodox Christian Church is actually more important than the Bible. And so I said to myself, I'd rather work with Muslims. This is what we do. First of all, establishing that his teaching is not against, it's not destructive to the written law when he said that in verse 17, think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy but to fulfill. And then he establishes the importance of the written law as he goes on in verse 18 and he says, look, the written law, it's gonna stand forever. It's not gonna pass away until heaven and earth pass away. So just like an army would move itself into a battle position, in verse 19, the Lord has moved himself into a battle position when he makes a warning against those teachers who were obviously breaking the written law, and they were teaching others to that it was acceptable to break the written law. And he says, that person could be the least, kind of the least. And then as he moves on in verse 20, he takes a direct aim at the scribes and the Pharisees when he says, for I say unto you, except your righteousness shall exceed, shall go above the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into heaven. Same thing he's telling Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, when he makes this statement about the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees and your righteousness, which has to exceed or go higher than the scribes and Pharisees, he is talking now about two different righteousnesses, two different righteousness. And this theme is gonna continue and he's gonna make it crystal clear about what these differences are between these two righteousnesses, the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees and the righteousness that you have to have. One righteousness is, has its origin in man. The other righteousness has its origin in God. One righteousness is strictly based on outward acts of observances. It's not a mistake that the Orthodox Jewish people, they don't call themselves Orthodox. They don't say, you know, we're Orthodox. They don't say that. But what, how they refer to themselves is very interesting because they call themselves, we are observant. That's how they call themselves, how Orthodox Jewish people call themselves, observant. And that's what these righteousness is based on, the outward acts of observances, while this other righteousness that people must have, the Lord says, is based on inward thoughts. One righteousness 
thrives on the praise of man, while the other righteousness it has a thirst for the praise of God. One righteousness passes away when a person passes away in death, while the other righteousness endures forever. One righteousness is based on the letter of the law, while the other righteousness is based on the spirit of the law. One righteousness is growing out of a dead system of orthodoxy of rules, while the other righteousness is growing out of is really the fruit of a living faith and relationship in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the differences between the one righteousness and the other righteousness, and this is what the Lord must get the people there to see. If they're going to come out of this darkness of this dead religion into a new light of a living union with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's starting off here, the Lord is starting off here by saying that, that making the statement that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And so, you know, you can imagine for a people that have only heard about the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees, they would say, what do you mean? What do you mean that my righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? So he doesn't leave them hanging there. He goes on and he starts to explain by saying that a person has no chance of getting into heaven unless his righteousness exceeds the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees. And then and so verse 21, where we come to now, is really the Lord saying, well, let me show you. Let me show you what I mean. Let's take the example of murder. And he says in verse 21, you've heard that was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. So here he's saying, you've heard the scripture in Exodus 20, verse 13, Exodus 20, verse 13, which simply says, thou shalt not kill. The Hebrew word is really murder. Thou shalt not murder. So what the Lord was saying was, okay, you've heard that you shall not murder. And you further heard that if you murder, then you're going to be in danger of judgment. Where the Lord's going with this is he's saying, okay, you think your only problem is if you murder someone. And as long as you don't murder someone, then you're free and clear and you've got nothing to worry about in judgment. You're good. That's what he's saying. No murder. No on your rap sheet, you're good. And most people today will say that. Most people today, if you ask them to say, are you a sinner? And they'll list to you why they're not a sinner. And, and most all the time they say, I've never murdered anybody. And so then the Lord goes on to say, well, that righteousness is not good enough. And that righteousness won't get you into heaven. And that righteousness, the righteousness that you need has to go deeper, has to go beyond physical murder. And so the Lord uses now this phrase to set himself apart from the Pharisees and the scribes. And he says in verse 22, but I say unto you. And he goes on. Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. It's this, but I say unto you, phrase, that he's wanting the listeners to see that he is different from the scribes and Pharisees. In fact, the overall statement of his teaching in the whole Sermon of the Mount is really summed up in this phrase, but I say unto you. And it was that, but I say unto you, that had the deep effect on the people. And when you get to the very end of this Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, Matthew 7, 28, Matthew 7, 28, you get the effect of what happened with his teaching, the effect that it had on his people. And it says in Matthew 7, 28, it came to pass when Jesus had ended 
these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The people were astonished because they never heard these things before. What is he talking about? This is all new to him. They were astonished. The people were astonished at what they called his doctrine, which was not at all like the doctrine of the scribes and Pharisees. And the great difference between his doctrine and the doctrine of the scribes and Pharisees is this word authority, authority. Authority here is referring to the impact of this teaching on the people. When a person sees the authority in the word of God, then the person's life changes. It's no longer seen as the word of man. It's no longer seen as religion. It's the word from God. And it doesn't take long when a person meditates on the Bible for the person to see the authority of the Bible. And that's when the Bible starts to change a person from the inside out. So when he says, I say unto you, that took his teaching from the low level of the religion of man to the high level of the truth of God. And so when the scribes and Pharisees taught, it was flat. It was not backed up for their lives. So the teaching didn't come with any force. But by contrast, when the Lord Jesus taught them principles, they saw it as law. It's the authority. When he taught them what they should and shouldn't do, the people saw it as commands because of his authority. And all that authority comes out as he keeps saying, but I say unto you. Well, now he's focusing on murder, and he's not looking at the stone in the hand of the person who's going to murder another person. He's looking at the anger in the heart that goes before the murder. And so he takes the people back to think about the first murder, which was in Genesis 4.3. In Genesis 4.3, this is the murder where Cain murdered his brother Abel when it says, very interesting how it puts that. He says in Genesis 4, 3, it says, in the process of time came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, he was angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall not thou be accepted? But if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire. In other words, you're going to obey that anger. And thou shalt rule over him. In other words, get a grip. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. So here's Abel. He's a shepherd. He brings what God wanted, which was a blood sacrifice. He had the sheep. But Cain was a farmer, and he brought what he had, which was his harvest. And the problem was that the Lord made it clear that he wanted a blood sacrifice, and so God was happy with Abel's offering, but he wasn't happy. And that made Cain mad. And the record says that he was very wroth. And that anger resulted in envy. And from that envy comes the murder. And this is what John 3, 1 John 3, 1 John 3, 11 is pointing out when it talks about this passage about Cain and Abel. In 1 John 3, 11, it says, for this is a message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another, not as Cain, 
who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. He was jealous. He was envious. And so God called out to Cain, warned him. Cain, you're in a very dangerous situation right now. You've got anger in your heart. Get a grip and rule over that anger. Because he said in Genesis 4-7, Genesis 4-7, sin's lying at your door. The door of your heart. Sin's right there. And unto thee shall be a desire. You're going to do what that sin wants you to do. And thou shalt rule over him. Get a grip. So that was Cain's last chance to respond to God, to renounce the anger that was in his heart. And now the same person, Jehovah Jesus, who warned Cain is now standing here on the Mount of the Sermon, and he's speaking about the danger of anger, just like he spoke to Cain about the danger of anger. And that anger in Cain wasn't seen except for his face fell. His face didn't look, he was mad on his face. And so Cain could have done a really good job at hiding that anger inside. So man couldn't see it, but he couldn't hide it from God. Couldn't hide it from God. And God saw Cain's anger. And so what does God do with us? He looks in our heart. He sees our heart. God sees our heart. He says, he says about our hearts later on in Matthew 7, 11, Matthew 7, verse 11. He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them? I mean, you read that verse and say, wait a second, did he just call me evil? He did. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your, he says our hearts are evil. And so that's what people say, you know, oh, you know, just look into your heart and look within yourself, you know. And Paul did that and it was very disturbing for Paul what he saw. In Romans 7.24, Romans 7.24, as Paul says, look, I looked in my heart, this is what I saw. I saw Romans 7.24, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? Now, Paul's talking about the wickedness that he saw when he looked at his own heart. And the Lord said, that's what you're going to find when you look within yourself. He says in Mark 7.20, Mark 7.20, he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, lasciviousness, evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. The reason that the people were astonished at his doctrine, because he talked about what was in the heart of man. And as far as the scribes and Pharisees, they would say, who cares? And now the Lord Jesus, in his teaching, he loves to use plants and plant life to illustrate some aspect of his teaching. You know, that was the big point about the parable of the sower and the seed and the different types of ground that the plant seed encounters, and it illustrates the different type of people and their response to the word of God. So here again, now the Lord is alluding to plants, and he says in Mark 7.20, Mark 7.20, he uses these terms, that which cometh out of the man. In Mark 7.21, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed. And then Mark 7.23, all these evil things come from within. So all these statements, all these words coming out, things that are coming from within, They're all pointing to the root of a plant that's responsible for what comes to the surface of the soil. You know, we all struggle with weeds. We've all used the weed whacker. 
you know, to cut the weeds down from the surface only to see the weed come up again because the only way you can get rid of it is to dig out the root. You know, you've heard somebody say something you shouldn't say and then someone else said, where did that come from? It came from where the Lord said, it came from the evil heart. It comes from the heart. So the Lord here is focused. He's focused on the heart. He's pointing to the heart of man. And he's saying the heart's the root. The actions are the fruit. They stem out of the root. And he calls uh, what comes out of the men's hearts evil thoughts, evil things. So the words he's using. He's not just talking about some people. Some people have evil thoughts. Some people have evil things. No, he's speaking about all people when he makes a statement in Mark 7.21. Mark 7.21, out of the heart of men. Not just some men, all men. So the Lord concludes that all men have these evil hearts, and in order to get to heaven, it's not going to work because it says in Psalm 24.3, Psalm 24.3, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Talking about heaven. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. So the only person who's going to send to heaven, the only person who's going to end up standing there in heaven is a person with a clean heart, a pure heart. But the Lord has just said that the heart of man is evil and not clean. And so man needs a clean heart. And the problem is man cannot clean his own heart. That's what Proverbs 20 verse 9 says. Proverbs 20 verse 9 says, who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my own sin. So The obvious answer is that no one can make his own heart clean and no one can purify himself from his own sin. This is why it's so true. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me pure again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Only the Lord can clean the heart of man. This is what David said in Psalm 51.10 after his terrible sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. He said in Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, O God. Which is why there's one prayer that we should be using all the time, constantly, very simple prayer. Lord, cleanse my heart. Lord, cleanse my heart. So when the Lord said that when a person is angry, and says, thou fool, or rock, or put it in our terms, you idiot, that he was saying is you're in judgment of hellfire. And the Lord's saying that everyone's done that one time in their lives, and he's centering on these, he's starting off on murder, and then he's gonna go right to the next one at the top of the list, which is adultery. That's what he was covering in Mark 7, 21, the evil things that come out of the heart, fornication, adultery, murder. And so here we are, and he's addressing now Real specific now, he says in verse 22, whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger. The counsel, whosoever say the fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, it's interesting, the word Raka, it comes from the Hebrew word Reitzah, Reitzah. Reitzah means to spit. That's what it means. So what Raka means is when a person is called Raka, in essence, a person is saying to them, I spit on you, I spit on you. Now, to spit on a person is like the ultimate expression of despising a person. The Lord was described in, in Isaiah 53.3, Isaiah 53.3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed it not. So this is the big emphasis in Isaiah 53.3 is that how much he was despised twice 
In that verse, it says he was despised. And the expression of how he was despised is in Isaiah 50, verse 6. Isaiah 50, verse 6, when it says, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 